Now, this morning, I, I really feel it's been on my heart for actually quite some months, this thing of the priesthood of all believers. And so I love, I love what Dave shared this morning, and I love the fact that I was kind of seeing, well, maybe he'll preach what I have, and we next guy go up. But I feel like God's just kind of slotting together because this thing of the priesthood of all believers, the church being activated in its fullness, is not a nice point. It's not a side point. It's, it's not a maybe. If we do not allow God to do things his way through the whole of the church, we will never fulfill what God's called us to do. If it is up to 10% over and over and over again, the 10% will be exhausted, the 90% will be bored, and the world will never be reached. So friends, this morning I'm going to do my best, to, or this afternoon I guess, pick up on some of the things Dave said and just jump into the scriptures. And I felt even while we were sitting here just to go back into a scripture and unfold from there. So go with me if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. Paul is speaking to, as many say, his spiritual son Timothy, a young man, uh, kind of a half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile that Paul's just investing in. As he begins in this letter to Timothy, I think he's reminded and he's reminding Timothy of the goodness of God. And Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, for me, this scripture has always ministered. It always grabs me because I can identify with what Paul said of himself. I was a violent man. I was an angry kid. I was abandoned by my, my parents when I was young, lived on the streets and battled different things, did all the things you're not supposed to do on purpose. Everything I was told not to do, I did tenfold. I sat in the back of police cars, drank, womanized, all of those things that at the time I thought I was supposed to glory in. And again, without going into a full scale of my testimony, God brought someone in my mind worse than me, an ex-Hell's angel into my life who shared his testimony. And I looked at him and I said, if God, if you can save him, you can save me. And when God on that August in 1992 grabbed my heart, gripped me. I didn't remember what the preacher was preaching. Didn't matter. My heart was pounding out of my chest. And he gave a call for anyone who wants to receive Jesus to lift up their hand. I couldn't put my hands up fast enough. And then he says, I, I normally don't do this, but I feel like you need to come forward. And uh, we were in a, a building that had pews and everybody was holding hands. And my now wife, my Catholic wife, I take her hand and I drag her across pews, not realizing I was breaking all the sacrilegious rules of what you don't do on a pew and running to the front. 
I gave my life to Christ. I was born again on that day. And friends, all I ever wanted to do from that point forward was tell people about Jesus. I wanted to tell them about the one who saved me, the one who would take a broken kid inside of a man and redeem him and restore him and rebuild him. A God who would show me that it wasn't when I came to salvation that he loved me, but that he had always loved me. God showed me pictures of him in my life in the times where I was loneliest, and there he was cheering me on. All I wanted to do was let the world know there is this Savior, Jesus Christ. And getting saved into what we got saved into, there was much good about it, and they taught us, and they, they took us in depth, and uh, we took classes. I mean, I couldn't get enough. We, we took classes on the basics of faith, and every single Wednesday night we went to prayer, and then we went to the classes, and we were doing homework and growing in much of the understanding. But part of the difficulty is we were saved into a structure that had a certain emphasis, which we would call hierarchical. It pointed upward. And all I wanted to do was preach the gospel. We, we began to have people in our home. I didn't care who it was. I invited people from work, the neighborhood, family. I invaded my now wife's family's house and just had people all over the place. I had been saved for a week, and I found the book of James, which if you know James, he's very passionate and very direct, which is kind of my style. So every day I get people in and I'd be like, I just read this this morning and I would, I would just share it and we got, people got saved and touched and it was just amazing because I didn't know yet you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> and I would tell people at work and I would pray for people at work and I was running a gym at the time and I'm, I'm exercising people. I'm telling them about this Jesus that just saved me, this radical thing that happened and it was just everything I wanted to say. And then somebody told me, yeah, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. You need to go through these classes and you need to take these courses and you, you need to be in the faith for a certain amount of time. And, and then you'll go into to kind of youth ministry because you're young. You'll be kind of a pseudo pastor. I'm like, okay. All I wanted to be was a youth pastor, and I uh, going for it, and, and there were moments again that it seemed like that was what was going to happen, and, and then it didn't happen, and by God's grace, it didn't, because I didn't realize I had a, a fiery testimony and excitement, but I was arrogant, and God still had to work things out in me, and what I was striving for was ministry, not the thing that I wanted, which was to just represent Jesus. For seven years, God worked those things out in me. And again, we got introduced into New Covenant Ministries and began to see differences in those things. And God brought me to a point where I was working selling heavy equipment. And everywhere I went, I was able to minister. People would come to my desk and say, I want what you have. I've seen your marriage. And I'm like, it's just Jesus and the chance to share with them and have them come and come to our house and come to church. And it was just rich. And, I came, and God brought me to a place where I just said, Lord, if I never have a title, and if I never am a full-time minister, I don't care. I'll preach where you've placed me. And two days later, I got a call from the guy leading the church at the time and brought us in. He says, listen, we want to bring you on full-time. And what God put in me, I think, was a dissatisfaction with the system. Because the system is not a biblical one. It's a man-made one that constrains what God wants to do. But Dave uh, commented on that, that 
And I just said to a couple guys, if we carry on with 10% of the people doing 100% of the work, you're going to have 10% of people exhausted, 90% of people bored to death, and the world will never be reached. There's something that God wants to break in his people for freedom. So that instead of having people sitting in chairs and applauding and getting a little bit, people are released and equipped and raised up, stirred and excited in the thing that they were made to do. If we... I'm trying not to be a, have it be a negative... We, with COVID, have been given an opportunity to reset, to change things. We are in the privilege, as Leo mentioned, of, of planting a church. And I said to Tyron on the trip over, part of the joy of planting is you kind of get to start from scratch. You don't have to undo anything else. But you can also mess it up, so you make sure you stick by the word and get perspective. But if all we build toward is a Sunday meeting... If everything is about that Sunday, how many people do we have? How does the stage look? How did everybody lead? Everybody feel good? Was the coffee good? And it is, by the way. But if that's all that we do, how will we impact the world around us? I've always struggled with the other six and a half days a week. What do we do with the gospel? We tell people, yeah, share your faith. There's a chance. But we, we orient it to just bring them to church. You bring them to church, and that's fine, but that's not all. Bring them to church because you've already led them to Christ at work. Bring them to church because God's done miracles at work, and they want to know what this craziness is. Bring them to church because you've been discipling and ministering to them at home, and it's time for them to come into the bigger body. Not bring them to church so the 10% can do their job and get them saved and get them in their seat and get them their spot, and we carry on. And I don't want this to be a negative. This is meant to be something to free us. And God's not angry at his church. He loves us. But he has so much more for us. And it can't be found in the system we have in place right now. We're in a place for wonderful, radical changes. But they're not radical new ideas. They're not radical things. It's actually going back to what God has in mind. But it's radical because it's different than what we're used to. And the joy we have is God has commissioned us. Part of these equips is to commission and equip us to go and be the radical change, bringing things back to the plumb line of the Word of God. As we look at Acts 19, which Dave pointed to, it talks about Paul going there and he spoke to the religious and they got tired of him after a while and he went and rented the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says, for two years he ministered there until the whole of Asia was reached. And that has always struck me because Paul never left for those two years. He was there. So you're thinking, well, there was no internet. There was no, he wasn't an online preacher. He didn't have to deal with COVID and, you know, video on YouTube or anything like that. Paul remained in a lecture hall preaching the kingdom. And because he did that, somehow the word got all the way through the entire province of Asia so that both Jews and Gentiles heard about Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Well, as you look into the history, again, as was pointed out, Ephesus was the hub of that region. 
And one of the new technologies of the day was the Roman roads so people could travel back and forth safely. Paul preached the, the, the businessmen and women, the, the moms and dads, the people traveling through came and heard and took the gospel. They took the preaching of the kingdom to the ends of Asia. They took it all around. It was the people that heard what was being taught and were sent out with the kingdom and went and told people in their regions, in their towns, upon the roads. Paul did his job, his role of equipping and teaching of the kingdom. But it was then the people who took what was taught and did their job of being priests into their regions, into their homes, into their neighborhoods. They estimate Paul reached potentially two million people over two years without the internet, without a car, without leaving that lecture hall every single day because the whole church was doing its job of taking the gospel out rather than trying to bring everybody in. You with me? I'm going to do my best to kind of launch off of what Dave started with just some biblical practical handles on how we walk into these things. First of all, we need to remember what God has called us to. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus is resurrected. He's standing with his disciples. Says Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Used in the old days, you could say, underline the word go, but obviously, probably no one has a paper Bible in here. Maybe a few of you. But highlight the word go. Highlight the word go. Our job is to go. What we've been called to is to go and preach the gospel. Go and share our testimony. Go and tell people what Jesus has done. Go and let them know he is the hope of mankind. We're in a world that is falling apart, tearing itself apart at the seams. We have been given that which can heal and redeem and restore. Marriages are torn apart. Jesus heals marriages. Families are torn apart. Jesus heals families. People are bound by addiction. Jesus sets them free from addictions. People want to kill themselves because they have no identity or purpose. Jesus gives them their very reason for existence. And we've been duped into this thing of being quiet and holding back and only in church and being nice. And, and don't be nice. Be passionate about the one who saved you. As I read that scripture, he was a violent, insolent man who blasphemed Jesus. That was me. And yet by his grace and his patience and his mercy, he saved me. And as if saving me wasn't enough, then he let me go be his mouthpiece. Me. I don't deserve to be up here. I didn't earn it. I'm not as educated as another. I don't have the, the pedigree that some have. But that's not what qualifies me. He saved me. And by his grace, he called me. And friends, no matter where you're at in your courage of your testimony, he saved you. You didn't deserve it. But he saved you anyway because he loves you. He died for you because he's patience, because he wants to display his grace in you and through you. At this time of this equip, let God stir up that testimony that's within you. Let God stir up the passion to share what he's done in your life. We make it so complicated. You feel like you have to go to Bible school and have a degree, and I encourage you to go deeper in your faith. Do it. 
but it doesn't disqualify you if you haven't done it. Has Jesus saved you? If he has, go. Tell him what he's done. I always say, share Jesus everywhere, everywhere you can, with everyone you see, everywhere you go, every chance you get. Just be about him. If he is your obsession, you can't stop talking about him. So that first point, I don't know where these proclaim Jesus. That's the first thing we do, called to in this. Secondly, that scripture tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. Part of our privilege and our call is to equip people. That's why this is named and equip. It's not a conference. It's not a gathering of nice ideas. We're simply trying to do as a team what we're called to do, which is equip each and every saint for the calling God created them to walk in. And so our role, and, and this call of equipping isn't just for bring him to bring him to Leo and he'll, he'll equip them. No, you equip them. And if you're not sure how to equip, equip them to the degree you can and keep growing and get help. But we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples. Disciples disciplined in the things of God. And if you don't like getting up and praying, you don't like getting up and reading your Bible and those things, I'm sorry. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, disciplined in the things of following him, that's going to have to become a key part of your life. Not because he's got a list checking and to get to heaven, he's going to say, you know, you kind of slacked on the reading thing. You probably should have picked that up. But because he wants you to be as equipped and ready as you can to share him with others. So you feel his, the confidence and the boldness and the courage to be able to share that which he's put in you and will work through you. And all of you are here at an equip. That means you've already taken those steps. But I want to encourage you as you're equipped this week, don't hold on to it. Don't just look at your notes or not look at your notes and say, that was great. We'll wait till the next one. Take what he's equipped you with and go and equip others. Make disciples of all nations. Gather in some people at work. Gather in some friends. Gather in some family. Have some coffee and say, what do you think about Jesus? And just start investing in them what's been invested in you. If each of us take on that role, everyone around us is growing. That means it's not up to Leo to come up with all the goods for 45 minutes on a Sunday and hope everybody gets fully equipped. Instead, the people who are sitting around us have been equipped to the measure we can and then partnering together, equipped to the measure they can. And as a team comes together, equipped to the measure that we can. Friends, it is something we've been called to do together. All of it. And what a privilege it is. I realize with the spotlights, I'm a spitter. I apologize. It's probably why the chairs are so far back. <laughs> oh, yeah, this front row. I don't know. Um, I can feel the love. I can feel the love. One thing, we had been leading the church in Southern California for years, and if, if you've led a church, it has amazing highs, but it also has some ouch in it. And you have those moments where you just, there's surely got to be somebody better than me for this Lord. I probably had a thousand of those in that journey. But in one of those, 
And it's not a bad thing. You work that out before God. One of the times I just in that struggle, Tyron was ministering, and he brought a truth that just set me free. He said, the single greatest thing you can do is that which God created you to do. The success is in that. Is he pleased? And part of our walk toward being priests in God is to understand your job is not to be me and my job is not to be you. Your job is not to, to strive for this unless this is what God has for you. Your job is to be who God created you to be, where he placed you to be, and live in the freedom and the joy that that brings. Too much of church culture is everybody striving to be like the guy up front. I mean, I've been around guys who suddenly developed a southern accent. A, 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 y'all come back and all that. I'm like, why are you talking like that? You, you've never even been to Texas. What? But it's because the guy who was discipling them was teaching them to be just like me. So they bought the shoes. They had the shirt. They had the accent. The hair was, you know, tyrant-like. I mean, the whole glasses, the whole bit. You know. Sorry, I didn't mean to reveal. Sorry about that. But part of equipping people and discipling them is not making them like you or anybody else, but making them the better version of themselves through Christ that he's called them to be. Looking at my notes going, I've just completely launched out of them, but that's all right. Part of our discipleship has to be to teach people how to live this out. It can't just be teach them how to be good in church and just teach them a couple of things. We have to begin to equip and train and teach people how to live this life out there. Our direction of what we equip and how we equip people has to always be with an outward thrust. As was pointed out, we spend two, maybe two and a half hours for some of you who come in late and leave early, maybe an hour every Sunday. No one knows, but um, get your coffee, get in it. If you're convicted, that's on you. Um, <laughs> repent, work it out. But friends, when we leave church, we go into the mission field. That's where it begins, not where it ends. There used to be signs in churches, and I think I'm going to have to get one put up on the door that you exit that says the mission field. So when people left church, they knew where they were going. Friends, we've got to have that mindset. When we come together on a Sunday, it is the coming together of the saints to rejoice in what God has done, to have whoever's leading who's heard God for this to say, this is what God has for us. Kind of go team, let's get out there and go do these things. And we all go off to the strategic places God has put us, and we live, and we disciple, and we minister, but we have to live this out well. And it means we, we work on the things at home, we work on our day-to-day -day things, our finances, our marriages, our kids, all of that we need to allow equipping to take place so that our light can shine brightly in every area. There's not an area that doesn't matter, there's not an area that God doesn't want to use in your life. And that's what the equipping is for, not just so that on a Sunday you can give a good word. Or not just so that when that day comes you can get up and preach. You may never stand on a stage with a microphone. And some of you are very relieved by that fact. That's okay. You will stand on a platform that God has given you and share the gospel with someone. 
Oh, here we go. I was going to go down that road, but I'm going to skip it. Jesus goes on and says to them, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I command. Part of discipleship for us and for those we disciple has to be surrender. Jesus is Savior, absolutely, but he is also Lord. Tyron spoke of it last night, that thing of, of the disciples saying, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. And then Judas saying, surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus was his teacher, but not his Lord. Friends, we have to allow it to happen to us first. Surrender every area of your life. That's where true discipleship can begin. But as we lead people and, and we get to pour into people, no matter whether you've been saved today and you're reaching the next guy that's saved the next day, it begins at surrender. I give my life completely to you, Lord. And I know that can be a process. It wasn't, and everything didn't change. It was time God worked things out in me. But in order for us to fulfill what Jesus has called us to do, obedience and surrender has to take place. And even this week, as you hear these things, these can be really, really nice notes. Or they can, these can be transforming works that change where you live, the church you're a part of, the country you're in, and the nations of the world if we obey. And it's not a taskmaster cracking his whip. It's our loving Father who died, sent his Son for every single one of us, saying, I've given my all for you. Give me your all and watch what I can do. We can't say I'm all in if we're not all in. I know that was profound and deep. I could say it with a southern accent. It might sound a little better. I don't know. But we honestly have to be at that place of absolute surrender. We want our people to be all in. We have to begin there first. And as leaders, as preachers, if you have the chance to preach, it is nice to have them pray a prayer and come to Jesus and he makes you feel better. He washes away your sin, but he also asks of you everything. Everything. And let me tell you, that day when I gave my life, I gave everything gladly because I understood what I was and what I had was nothing. Sometimes maybe people need to get a chance to get to that place before we give them a substitute. But let's make sure we give people the whole gospel. Savior, absolutely, forgive me of my sins. Save me as a wretch that I am. But Lord, Take my life that I have messed up on my own and lead me this point forward. And I can be all in. So what's God's strategy? How do we, how do we fulfill what he's called us to? Just give us some basic notes. I've already touched on some of them. Firstly, we need to teach every believer that every one of us was made by God, for God, with intrinsic value and worth. There is not a person that has ever lived that was a piece of garbage, un, didn't matter. God didn't wait for us to get saved and then figure out what he has to do with us. He, as he tells Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. Let me actually read the scripture. The Lord gave me this message, Jeremiah 1.4. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. 
Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I, oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah responds, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. But the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And do not be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. And then he says, then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Jeremiah was a timid prophet. And yet the calling God gave him wasn't to, to match his timidness. The calling God gave him was to change the world. And friends, the first thing we need to understand about us and about those God has given us to lead is he created you and I with thought, with plans, with purposes. Before time began, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Everything about you, even the things you look in the mirror at and hate, he loves and he made with purpose, and he made with intent. There's something about you that is not like anyone else. And he's called you with those innate, intrinsic values to go and use those things to change the world. And we live in a world that is confused with identity and all these things, and it goes back to the reality that we do not understand the depth of God's plan and purpose for every single person, saved and unsaved alike. And we as leaders have to catch this for ourselves. We have to impart it. doesn't mean you preach the same thing all the time, but it means it's in what we preach, that there is something that is meant to change the world in every single person, and our privilege is to help pull that out of them and get them on that platform God created them for and watch them soar. That means every drug addict whose life is a waste, there's a purpose of God in them. They were made not for that. They were made for kingdom things. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter recognized who Jesus was. Jesus said over Peter, Peter, you're going to be a vessel for me, a rock. He wasn't what Jesus was building his church on. But he was speaking something over Peter that wasn't there yet. As you remember, Peter, loudmouth Peter, identify with him. He said, "Over, you know, I'll never leave you. No matter everybody else leaves you, I never will. And he took off. He got so far away from Jesus and so overwhelmed by guilt, he went back to fishing. But what Jesus saw in him was what he was made by God to become, not what he was yet. And friends, we have the privilege of helping people, equipping people in the thing that God made them to be. But our prayer life, our focus has to be, Lord, give me your eyes for your people. The shepherd sees his sheep. He sees the difficulties, the defects. He sees all those things, and he guides them accordingly. You and I will have the privilege to see young ladies have value in themselves because they found their value in Christ and not give themselves away to the world. We'll have the privilege to see young men choose to care for women in the way that they should, choose to use their gifts and their abilities and their strength for the things God created them for because we help bring that out in them instead of the nonsense that the world feeds them. But for us, it has to begin in that place, the intrinsic worth of every single saint. Amen? Some of you right now are even wrestling with what I've just said. It's true. Psalm 139, God's divine work making you who you're called to be. 
Second part, everyone is called for a purpose. In the first, everyone was created for a great purpose. Second, everyone is called for a purpose. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, not only were we created for a purpose, but we don't just sit there and go, well, I was made for something I'll never fulfill. You were made for a purpose, and God has added you to his body so that you can begin to walk in that which you were made to walk in. You and I are chosen by God, priests of the Most High God, set aside for his purposes. Why? So that we can go declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We need to allow ourselves to be excited about what Jesus has done again. We get excited and jump up and down over songs and those things. But friends, we need to be excited out there. We need to be so excited that at the dinner table, it's like, oh, he's going to talk about Jesus again. Awesome. Or your friends at school are like, oh, she's Jesus person again. They love you, but they're like, oh, Jesus. Because he's just all you can talk about. And again, it's not weird. I don't mean be weird and spiritual and Christianese. When I first got saved, these people would come to me and utter off all these scriptures, I think all out of the King James Version, because I had no idea what they were saying. You don't have to be religious. And please, if that's the way you talk, don't do it anymore. It's usually not authentic. It feels like you're trying to be spiritual. Just be honest. What has Jesus done? What is he doing now? Who is he? What does he want to do in that person? Share it with them. Every one of us is called. That this is where that priesthood of all believers. Can you imagine on a Sunday? How many chairs do you say you have? 300. Let's say, well, it'll eventually be 500. 300 chairs. If out of the 300 people, 250 grasp this. They know their worth. They know they're called. They come ready on a Sunday. They're coming piped and they're excited. And they're bringing neighbors and they're bringing friends. And they're introducing them and saying, this is what Jesus has done. And they're coming up and saying, Leo, I don't have a, a prophetic word or scripture, but I do want to tell you what God did at my workplace. These three people got saved at work. And the testimonies that come are not, not, not that those aren't important, but friends, the testimony of what Jesus is doing out there. My neighbor had cancer, and I went and prayed, and they got healed, and they're here today, and they're walking. My friends, these are the things that the priests do. That's why we gather, yes, to get direction, but to also praise for what he's doing out there. And it's cool if they come in in wheelchairs and walk out of our meetings. That's amazing. But what about out there? What about out there? You take that friend out for a coffee. You talk about Jesus, and they're like, all right, you've worn me out. I'll go to church with you. But they're not just going to church cold because they saw it on Google. It's because you've loved and you've told them and you've given them your testimony. And they come through the doors like I did. And they hear about this Jesus. They don't even know what's being preached. But the Holy Spirit grabs them and they run to the front. And they are born again right in the midst of these things. But it begins in the priesthood. Not in the 10%. But in all of us. As I said earlier, next one in here, everyone needs to know how to live out that purpose. We need to teach our people. And when I say that, all of a sudden it becomes the, the small group teaching. 
there are roles in the church, and we look biblically, there are elders, deacons, and I, I don't have time to go into the government of the church, hopefully, and trust you understand those things. But each of us, as priests, can take part in these things of investing in other people. But we as leaders, we need to teach our people to be faithful. Faithful to God, first and foremost and always. To grow and mature in their walk. To prioritize Him daily. And to walk in obedience to His call. We have to teach that. Don't assume anything. Paul says, I don't mind repeating. I don't mind telling you again. And everything scripture I'm reading here, I trust most of you have probably heard multiple times, read yourself, maybe even preached on it. It's still worth hearing again. Be faithful. We have to teach them to be faithful in our marriages, in our families. In, in California, when we were there, the, the divorce rate amongst Christians was higher than non-Christians, somewhere close to 70% in Orange County. Nobody missed a beat because the pastors were divorcing too. Friends, we have to teach people to be faithful. Husbands, faithful to their wives. Wives, faithful to their husbands. We have to teach our kids the word of God. They're getting everything else at school. Let's give them the one thing that will anchor them to that which is unmoving. We have to teach our family how to pray. These are things hopefully we learned in COVID, friends, that we can't just trust everybody's okay because when our, our Sunday meeting went away, suddenly it was like, oh, what's happening? We found out who was strong and who wasn't in the things of God. Let's prepare for a disaster even if one never comes by teaching our people how to pray and to minister in their own homes. Teach our family how to share their faith in the Word. Be faithful at work. If you're a Christian and people know you're a Christian at work, then work hard. Be early. Stay late. Be the guy who's always putting in the extra effort. Don't be lazy. And to be honest, if you're going to show up late and be lazy, don't tell them you're a Christian. Please. Sort out your discipline and then get in there and show them the goodness of God. We need to teach our people and we need to learn to listen more and talk less. Teach us, teach the people to open their homes, their lives, and their mouths. Some of the greatest times happen around dining room tables. You don't have to be qualified. Let me tell you, I pulled in everybody under the sun into my mother-in-law's house before she was my mother-in-law. She'd come home and be like, why are all these people here? Like, I just told them about Jesus. I read James 2 today, so I'm going to teach about James 2. It, it didn't matter. But they loved coming into a home and those times together. Friends, open up your homes and teach the people to open up their homes. It doesn't have to be a connect group officially. Obviously, if they're teaching and doctrine and all that, yes. But just for people to open their homes that have neighbors in, that should be day-to-day -day life. It's what they did in the scriptures. Jesus ate often. I like that. I love Jesus and I enjoy food, so this all works. Teach them to know how to share their testimony. If you don't know how to share your testimony, then spend time. Have a two-minute version, a ten-minute version, and the long one. Thirty seconds. Matt will give you all the, the formulas. And I better get to this part because I'm running out of time on it. But the last point in here, not the last, but the last I have time for, 
Everyone has a platform. Everyone has been given a platform by God. Book of Acts teaches that God chose the times and the places we were to be born and the places, our boundaries of our lives. Friends, you're not here by accident. God has placed you here, placed you wherever you are for a purpose and a plan. And if you wait to get this platform, it may be a platform you never get because it's not what God has for you, but you have been given a platform. My nephew Josh, Tyron talked about him yesterday. He works at a gym at 4 a.m. in the morning. And he's uh, 18, 18 now? 19. It's, you know, it's not the job of the century. But God's given him a platform. And let me tell you, he uses it. We're, we're about an hour south of where they are now. But every time we come to visit the church, there's all these new people. Like, where did all these people come from? They came from the gym. Really? How did they find us? Uh, Josh, the front desk guy. Gets there at 4 in the morning, he's reading his scriptures, he's sharing with them. They know he's the Jesus guy, so they talk to him. Friends, he's using the platform God has given him. He's not waiting to get up and preach and equip. He's preaching the gospel. He's living the gospel. There are, as we've joked, the sixth gift, baristas here. But whatever it is, see there's a barista in the back. But if you're a teacher, if you're a mom, whatever your platform is, we've got to learn to make that platform what it's meant to be, preach from it, minister from it, love it, abide in it. Don't strive for something else when God has placed you in that. Because what will happen the six and a half days a week is ministry will be happening all over Sydney for those in this area. All over Sydney, ministry is happening. People are getting saved. People are getting prayed for. People are being equipped. Disciples are being raised up. And you know what? These guys are not having to do it all. They're working in the area and the role they's, they've been given, the platform they've been given while you work in the platform you've been given. And what do we have? We have the priesthood of all believers doing all that we're called to do all throughout the areas we're in. And what happens is you minister to your neighbor who happens to be from another country. They get radically saved and discipled, and God calls them back to their country. The gospel goes to that country, and they understand having people in their home, and they begin to do the same. And we see multiplication, and we see fruit, because there's a priesthood that's activated and doing what we're called to do. And the world gets to hear about Jesus. And Tyron said, there's nothing else. We're waiting for all these signs and stuff for Jesus to come back. He'll come back when the gospel goes to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And the good news is it's not up to the 10%. We all get to play a part in this wonderful kingdom of his. Remember, as he said to Jeremiah, you're not on your own. You're filled with the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. Lean on him, trust in him, learn to hear him so that he can continue to use you in greater and greater measure on the platform that he's given you. And remember the one that we do this for. It's not for Leo or whoever your leader is. It's not for Ensema. It's not for Tyron. It's not even for you. It's for the one who came and gave his life for us all for Jesus Christ. Be motivated to love with everything in us, the one who loved you so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't come to condemn, he came to save. Let's not go and condemn, let's go and take the word of salvation, the kingdom of God, to a world that's desperate, desperate to hear it. Amen?